and welcome back. I'm your host, Just Dave, and you are tuning in to the Steel Save Show, where we sit down with some of the coolest individuals who have some of the dopest and most inspiring stories of change and transformation you have ever heard. And boy, do I have a story for you today. <laughs> I've got an incredible man of God in the building, a pastor, missionary, church planter, church consultant, as a matter of fact, the first African-American church consultant for Union Baptist Association, a father of a million kids, a husband <laughs> for a very, very long time. Um, I've got Dr. Ricky Bradshaw in the building. Thank you for joining me, sir. DJ Dave, it's good to be with you, son. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Oh, my God, that felt weird introducing <laughs> you like that because, you know, to the rest of the world, that's who you are. To me, you just dad. Like, you're, you're Dr. B. Yeah. Um, you're, not only are you all those things I just listed, but you are also, I have the very, very esteemed honor of calling you my father-in-law, um, which I don't ever use the in-law part. But I always confuse people when I when I when I introduce you to folks, I'd be like, hey, you know, Ricky Bradshaw and everybody knows who you are in the <laughs> church world. Everybody. Um, and when I introduce you, uh, I tell people, hey, yeah, that's my dad. And they look puzzled for a a, just a few <laughs> seconds. There's this look of bewilderment like Ricky Bradshaw is your dad. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's because <clears throat> <laughs> I'm a Negro and yeah. you're an Anglo. There we go. <laughs> Okay. You, you said it. You said it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the look I get. That's yeah. the look I get. Dr. B, is your dad? And I'm like, yep, that's when my I tell, dad. When I tell them you're my son, that they do the same thing. Like, uh, you sure you got the right David Settle? Uh, but see, not as many people know me as they know you, though. <laughs> like, everybody that comes through this station, from the top-tier pastors to the gospel artists, like, when you say Ricky Bradshaw here in the city of Houston, your name rings bells. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty pretty cool. It's pretty pretty cool. Not only are you my father-in-law, but you are also the man who introduced me to the faith, mm -hmm. which, you know, I I tell you this all the time, but publicly I want to just say how grateful I am for that because I probably wouldn't know Jesus if it weren't for you. Wow. Um, I had the wonderful privilege of not only you, but your dad too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. in prison. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, my dad as many people know uh was in and out of jail quite a bit. <laughs> Um, was a great, great man, yeah. had a good heart, worked really, really hard. He just had that that struggle with alcoholism, mm -hmm. like many, many do. Yeah. And it, it it landed him in jail a number of times. Mm -hmm. And the last time, I think, is where he He's encountered me. you. Yeah, he encountered me at the Carol Vance unit when I was there. I was working on, uh, I was there on staff at that, uh, at that time at the Carol Vance unit. Yeah. And got a chance to meet your dad. And then all of a sudden, David shows up, and I said, "Wait a not minute!" Not in jail, by the way. No, no, not, not, in, not jail. in jail. <laughs> I probably should have gone well, to jail. Well, I think you should have been too. I, I, matter of fact, if I was a little bit younger, I should have been with you. Yeah, but, probably. <laughs> no, probably too. It. It was a fact. But by the grace of God, I got a chance to know you and your dad, and as a part of my family as well. Not yeah. only our church family, but yeah, uh, my my immediate family. No, absolutely, yeah. and and I think that that shaped cultivated and made me the man that I am. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, I just wanted to publicly say thank you for, you know, taking me under your wing and, you, it, you know, showing me what it means to be a man and how to be a father and a husband and a business owner and a man of God and teaching mm -hmm. me how to pray and, you know, what to do when things get hard in life and mm -hmm. what to do when things are good, you mm -hmm. know, and how to act and how to navigate. And 
Um, you know, I ain't always got it right. But <laughs> but you know the right one. There you go. Yes, Come on. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, yes, man. Sir. But no, thank you, Dr. B, for that. I remember yeah. one story, and then we'll dive in. When I first came to Jesus, uh, man, I was I was out there. And I came to the church, and I remember I had, you know, had my do-rag on. I had my, my I was grilled out. I had a, a mouthful of gold teeth. <laughs> chains and baggy clothes and you know driving in the navigator with the speaker bumping and um and when I gave my life to the Lord I was I was nervous because I thought I had to like you know put a suit on and you know uh rub shoulders with the deacons and <laughs> do all these different things and and you was like no 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 uh-uh. keep the grill in yeah take the do-rag off keep the grill <laughs> keep the grill in and bring your turntables to church and and that really changed the game for me and mm-hmm. in, in in terms of the way I view church culture mm-hmm. and the, the way I view Christ himself. Because mm-hmm. um, had you made me put on a suit, I probably yeah. would have walked away. Yeah. Well, I, I got a feeling that uh, God was saying something to me when you walked through the door. Mm-hmm. It was it was obvious that as a first generation believer, I've been where you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I wish I would have brought my trumpet with me. And and I didn't. I put it up in the case, and I put it in the attic, and I never brought it back out. Yeah. And you were a pretty bad trumpet player too. Well, in in my day, I would play in bands, and the bands that uh, would um, um, introduce James Brown when he would come to Houston. But I got a chance to play with some of the guys who played in those bands, and it was amazing. But I when I got saved, I decided that. I need to put that trumpet up because the trumpet kept me close to that that dark side. Just yeah. like your DJ booth uh, table, your turntables probably kept would have kept you on the dark side. Yeah. So immediately okay. what I saw, I need to bring the, de- the DJ booth under surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Come on. And that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of strange that people looked at me like, what are you doing letting him do that? I said, this guy, after three weeks in Christ, two of his friends got baptized, and you've been a deacon for the last 20 years, and (laughs) not one person has come to faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. So it was obvious to me that um, God was translating you into his kingdom, and and so I'm just grateful to be a part. No, it's so cool. You're right. Yeah, all my my drug dealer friends and rappers (laughs) at the time, I was like, man, we got to get our life together, man. They thought I was crazy, but you're right. Like later yeah. on, uh, several of them ended up giving their lives to the Lord, yeah. coming to the church, yeah. getting baptized. Yeah, it was amazing. You know, it, it it was it was definitely a sight to see. Mm. Um, you're also the co-author of a really really cool book mm-hmm. called "The Power to Change." Yes, sir. A personal playbook for change and transformation. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I think co-author doesn't do it justice because <laughs> I might have written the words. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but yeah. those words really came from you. When I was reading it, I said, "That sounds like me." <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what discipleship is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mimicking for others to become what they need to be. Yeah. And that's the, 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 that, that's the, the theme of my life. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's the Great Commission. Yeah. It's, it's, it's looking for the next person mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. I'm writing, coming here to meet with you. Who's the next person? Right. The elevator opens, you come out, and there's a lady cleaning the mm-hmm. elevator, and I'm going, is she the next person? Yeah, yeah. And she spoke perfect Spanish, and I didn't. I said, mm. Missed opportunity. I missed- <laughs> Man. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, no, I, lo- I love it, though. But, yeah, I, that that book has been uh, a journey. <clears throat> um, but I, I did get those words from you, from just following you around, 
to different revival meetings mm-hmm. and transformation tours and mm-hmm. missionary journeys across the world mm-hmm. um, and just listening to you speak, watching you live mm-hmm. and documenting it. You know, I felt like a modern day biblical yeah. author, you know, Matthew Luke. following Jesus yeah. around, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And just Luke writing down following stories. Paul. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's what that book is all about. Yeah. Um, and uh, I definitely wanted to bring you on so that we could talk a little bit about that. Uh, man, another thing, you have had uh, an incredible career, if you want to call it that. Um, and you've been and, and your faith has taken you all over the globe. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been to some pretty interesting places. Like, how many countries have you been? About 50. 50? Yeah, and no, I come from Fifth Ward, brother. Come on. <laughs> I come from the hood. Bloody nickel. <laughs> <laughs> most folks from Fifth Ward don't leave Fifth Ward. <laughs> but you've been to Most, Fifth... most folks from Fifth Ward don't leave you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, come on. <laughs> but the grace of God, my friend. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. What are some of the, what are some of the, like, coolest places you've been? Like, some of your favorites. I would say uh, Brazil is my favorite, not because of Rio. <laughs> Rio will get you in trouble. Well, you no, know, I, I preached the 40,000 on the beach at Rio. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and, and many people came to faith in Christ uh, that, that day. And, um, but no, it was because uh, Brazil is, was a soft point for me for missions. Yeah. To bring other congregations and believers who had no idea that God was calling them uh, to change the world around them. Yeah. So I said, let me take them to Brazil to, so they can see change because it's hard to see change in your own world. Wow. Um, you may have to go somewhere to see it. Many of these were pastors. Many of these were, I get kind of kind of fuzzy-wuzzy here when I talk about yeah. it, as you can see, it's my favorite. Um, and, and, and visiting about 50 different cities and taking plane loads of people from Houston and, and, and many from around the world to go to, to, a, to a mission field that was ripe. God was at work there, and they've never seen God at work like that. Mm-hmm. And they will come back, and many of them are still doing missions. In fact, when you um, um, uh, picked me up at the elevator, I was on the phone, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I was talking yep. to a guy who said, God has never called me to do missions, right? I took him to Brazil. Guess what? He's gone there more times than I have now. Jeez. See, It's because God is at work. Yeah. So yeah. I want to see let people see where God is at work. Mm-hmm. So Brazil was my favorite spot. I, I think Japan... Had to be second. Really? Yeah, Japan was uh, awesome. I met some hip hoppers there. Uh, they saw me. They were in Japanese skin, but they were riding around in 1972 <laughs> Cutlass Supremes. What? You know, with wheels that were 22 inches, uh-huh, wearing uh-huh. these big crosses on their necks. And yeah, in Japan. <laughs> I love in Japan. It. And they said, Do you know Jay Z and all this stuff? You know, uh-huh. do you know Michael Jordan? Da, 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 da. And then I would say Russia would be third. Oh, and yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, I spent a lot, lot of time in uh, Moscow and. Uh, and Nizhny Novgorod, and the also Ukraine, at the Kiev Seminary, working with those cats and, and starting house churches. And I, I think about them today, as their city is being bombed, their nation is being bombed by Russia. <clears throat> so those are some some very good memories of over yeah. the years where I've been around and to check out uh, where God is at work. Yeah, it's definitely definitely impressive, especially considering where you come from. Mm-hmm. Right, you've been able to travel to over fifty different countries, uh, speak to. On platforms to audiences of thousands and thousands of people, mm-hmm. as well as house churches with mm-hmm. a few folks mm-hmm. who have to go underground and they can only worship on somebody's birthday because yeah. they have to have yeah. an excuse to gather right. or else they'll be arrested or beaten. You remember that story? I do, mm-hmm. I do. Um, and then you've also had the privilege of working with some of the most notable pastors and leaders here in the city. Clearly a thought leader, um, an agent of change, and respected by many. 
Um, and uh, but like I said earlier, like it, it hasn't always been like that. No, it hasn't. You know, you you like you said earlier, you come from Fifth Ward. You come from the bloody nickel. Um, you know, the home of rap a lot records. Uh, tell me a little bit about growing up here in Houston, on the north side. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what was that like? And then walk me through to where you are now. Uh, David, you make me feel like I'm somebody today. Some, and I don't feel like that every day, but I, I, today I feel very good to tell my story. Uh, and thank you for allowing me this opportunity. But, um, yeah, I did grow up in Fifth Ward, and it was the only country I ever knew mm-hmm. uh, for 18 years of my life. That's the only country. Of course, going to see Grandma and Grandpa in Colfax, Louisiana, that was really the highlight of my time to get away from the ju- the concrete jungle mm-hmm. and to go to the jungles of central Louisiana. Yeah, and the Creole slip out every now and then. You make him mad, <laughs> and you might he might start talking in French. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, why, Monsieur? <laughs> so, um, the but but my life was just filled with family, mm-hmm. and also filled with a, um, an elementary school in HISD, Houston Independent School District. And mostly, almost all the schools, if not, I got a feeling 100% of them had prayer in the morning yeah, and also Bible reading over the PA system. And then in 1963, um, they took my entire third grade class uh, to see a movie called King of Kings. And not just my third grade class, yeah. but all third graders in HISD went to the Windsor Theater. And that's the furthest I've ever gone outside of Houston, which is at 610. And Westheimer or Richmond. Oh, yeah. yeah it used yeah. to be a theater there. That's right down the street. Yeah, right down the street yeah. from where you are now. And um, we got on yellow school buses around the clock for a whole week. Buses were pulling in early in the morning with third grade students, black, white. And there was only one Spanish speaking people here at the time. They were called Mexicanos. Mm-hmm. And so the three of us, all of us were on, on at, in the theater. Uh, the, the white cats were at the bottom and uh, the black cats were at the top. And when they crucified Jesus, watching that movie, all the boys in the hood stood up and said, y'all better leave him alone. Mm. Yeah, because he did good. And we screamed. And they had to sit us down. But oh, when he rose from the grave, (laughs) all the third graders going, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just all had a good time. And that's how I got introduced to to the Savior, but not so in my home. Right, right. right. Because at that time, you're you're in third grade, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, you still had a lot of living, a lot of growing up to do. Yeah. Uh, And and in a home that wasn't necessarily like a church going home. It wasn't a church going home. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that, man. But but, but I got to say this, though, the Mm -hmm. the peace that I did not receive at home, I I received at school. It was strange. Wow. But then in 1964, they decided that you can no longer have Bible reading and prayer. And from there, everything slipped. Yeah, everything slipped. Because that had it not been for that, uh, you know, yeah. that introduction of that seed being planted, right? And at school, because you weren't getting it at home. I wasn't you getting, getting it at it home. On the street, you weren't getting it in the community. Yeah, the only time we went to church was at a funeral, and, and going to a funeral if that's church, I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, dead people and people crying and going on, right. then screaming, and so we didn't go to church that much. But Dad owned a cafe in Fifth Ward, and he he was a manager of a black. African-American baseball team, and he also worked at night. So I, I didn't see him very much because he was gone all the time. And Mom, she drank most of the, the liquor that that was brought into the house. And so they fought quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I would say in 14 years, I stayed in 13 different places at some point in time. Uh, Mom would leave, put our underwear in a paper bag, a brown paper bag, and said, I got to go. 
And uh, we go to a rent house with no furniture in it. And we had to sleep on the floor. And she felt so bad. Dad came and picked us up. All of us would go back home. But it repeated itself, you know, every, every, almost twice a year. Yeah. We would leave. And so in, that that was my life at that time. And it seemed like the only peace I got is when I went to school at, at third grade. But then after that, the bottom fell out. Yeah. Um. When I was got to the sixth grade, um, Martin Luther King quite naturally was was a hero for us back then. I watched my mom and dad weep in times of when people were being dragged out of certain places and they showed it on TV and they would be very upset. And I didn't understand what was going on, but I, I realized that something great happened uh, through Martin Luther King. And I, I was attending an African-American school in Fifth Ward quite naturally. But for the first time, they offered an opportunity for us to go to the school across the track. And I thought that was intriguing, listening to the message of Martin Luther King. Yeah, yeah. But only six sixth graders, and I was one of them, uh, volunteered to go. Everybody else wanted to go to the school in our community. Nothing wrong with that, but it was kind of strange that I would have that passion to do that. And um, when I got to that school, that middle school, the first thing happened to me, my white vice principal called me into the office and gave me 10 pops uh, because there was a little girl there that liked me, and I liked her because she played trumpet. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted her to teach me how to play the trumpet, so I got into the band. And uh, the band was uh, a comfort to me because I can, when mom and dad would fight, I would play my trumpet as loud as I could, and, uh, and it became my best friend. And um, then I got to Phyllis Wheatley High School. Oh, uh, yeah, man! Come on, Wheatley! Wow, cats. I was I was looking forward to get going to Wheatley, but because of these, the civil rights movement now, it was causing African Americans, who were really top of the game in Black America, to want to cross over into the culture. So many of our Black teachers, those that were the best, yeah, left and went to other institutions of higher learning and training so that they can be a part, right? There's nothing wrong with that because now you can live across the track. You can yeah, go to school yeah. across the track. You can bank across the track. You can travel. You can do things that you could not have done prior to that. Well, that left a, a, a void in our communities, mm. deep void, and I saw it. Of, of talented, talented mentors and leaders. Yes, and exactly. Teachers. And these others, they did the best they could. But they was they were they were not able to get out, yeah, uh, because they were not the best of the best, and the the worst of the worst of the other side came to our schools Ooh, to mix I it didn't up. Even think about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, my teacher, his name was Mr. White, and he would prop his foot on the desk, and pop open a Houston Chronicle and read it, and he would tell us, "You know what to do." Wow. Yeah, and I made an A in that class. <laughs> Yeah. What class was that? Like, it was history. So. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know what to do. You know, <laughs> you know what, what to do. do. Read it. Okay, I'm gonna give you a test, take it. And that's 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 the way it was. Yeah. So when I got to go to this school that my forefathers went to, I was expecting something that I saw in the others that left. Like my sister went to college and her boyfriend next door went to college and they're doing fine now and all of a sudden they are experiencing the benefits of being a part of this a new movement uh, called freedom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yet I was trapped. Wow. And that's when drugs was introduced to me through playing my trumpet. By the age of 14, I'm traveling in a little 
camper truck going through East Texas, uh, playing music in the middle of the night, and uh, introduced to alcohol and drugs at the age of 14. And all of my friends, everyone, popping pills, and we just got a a part of that drug culture, and everything kind of slipped into darkness. Right, right. And not only my life, but my, my friends' lives as well. And we had made we had made packs when we were in the back of that that truck going to these little East Texas nightclubs where uh, Big Betty would be sitting there grabbing my cheeks, you're so cute, and kissing me, and I'd be going, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we would get in the truck on the way back to Houston, and we would say, man, we're never going to drink, we're never going to smoke. And by the time you know, uh, maybe about the fourth or fifth trip, we were in that culture, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that that's the way I, I was raised. But that trumpet was my best friend, but mm-hmm. it kept me close to that culture. Yeah, yeah. And uh, eventually, um, my life spiraled to the point where my mom was no longer living with us, and I didn't know where she was. So for four years, uh, middle school uh, through high school, I didn't know where my mom was. Uh, she had to leave us at home because every time she would take us, she couldn't escape all the fighting and all of that. And yeah, this, yeah. this time, she made it clear that I, I got to leave you. And when she left me, that made me very angry. Oh, man. And I was a very angry man. Not at her. Right. But at the pain on the inside, knowing my mom is out there, but nobody would tell me where she was. And she was the one that would make sure that we were dressed. She was the one that worked for the man across the track. She was the one that had to ride a bus to just make sure that we had, you know, whatever. I I didn't see my dad. I knew he was providing, but Mm -hmm. I just never saw him. Yeah, I, I did. I've never went to a baseball game with him, um, but I've heard some things about her and him, and so it was. It was really confusing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't a straight A student. Wasn't trying to be. Uh, worked most of the time just to get away from the house, throwing newspapers, whatever I can do. Working at the grocery store, packing groceries, whatever. So that tells you one thing: I dress real well. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I had the money to go get my own tailored made pants and Come stuff. Come on. And uh, but I, I was see sleep- you right now, <laughs> uh, super smooth, soul train <laughs> like you. Oh, <laughs> I may be bald kind of today, but I had a fro back then, bro. Listen, and I had my Friday night, Saturday night live suit on and my Saturday night shoes on, and I danced the night away. Mm-hmm. That's when disco came in and and drug the drug culture. So it kept it kept coming and it kept coming. But something deep down inside of me was pl- planted, and I think in a lot of us, in the, when we were in the third grade at eight years of age. Uh, especially here in the city of Houston. And I'm seeing the results of it today in many of my friends. Yeah. That we were taken into a world where the scripture was read over the PA system by little Johnny and Mary would do the Lord's Prayer. That well, that would still be embedded in us. Right. And, and they tell me that when you're eight years of age, what happens then, science says, will more than likely happen in the future. Wow. Yeah, you can measure it. And science proved it. I'm here today and many of my friends, like the one I was talking to,